Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the ninth part in our series, Rome, the Decline of Democracy. Where we last left off, the Emperor Titus, after successfully dealing with the natural disaster in Pompeii, has passed away after just two short years of rule. I guess Titus is truly one of those one-hit wonders, huh, Brett? I'm afraid he was, Aaron. Titus was much beloved by both the upper and lower classes of Rome. He was young, he was generous, and he was shaping up to be what was supposed to be a long and wonderful rule when he had a sudden and uh, shocking death. He, he fell ill, got some kind of sickness, and, and, and died. That was it, right? Mm. That, and then that's life in, in the, the ancient times. It could, it could happen. Yeah, yeah, and you said earlier offline that he fell off a horse. Is that also a part of the story? Like, he, was he ill and he fell off a horse, or how exactly did this go down? No, uh, his official cause of death is uh, died of fever. Oh, okay. Right. Gotcha. Um, he he suffered a fever, and he died. Um, I believe in eighty A.D., maybe eighty-one A.D. Let's let's just call it the the early eighties. Right. <laughs> um, he he didn't do so good. He ruled for two years, not mm. not so long. The one one last interesting thing to mention about Titus is that uh, supposedly on his deathbed, his final words are. Uh, I've made but one mistake. You know, I'll, I'll I'll leave that up to you and your your viewers to decide what 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 we think that one mistake might have been, but it's unfortunately lost to history. <laughs> That's very cryptic, right? I've made yes. one mistake. Jeez. I've made but one mistake. Some people suspect it was the like the 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 events that led up to his fever. Some people suspect it was the like not warning Rome, not doing something about his, his younger brother Domitian before he died, because as we'll talk about, uh, Domitian, you know, will secede him and Domitian is a little mixed. It depends who you ask how good Domitian does, you know. Um, Man, that now based on that, my uh, my mystery novel mind is coming up, and I'm like, maybe he was poisoned by his younger brother. Who knows, right? <laughs> that's 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 what some people think, but there's literally no evidence for any of that. So we generally don't talk about it too much, right? Because I gotcha, I gotcha. Because no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. It could have been anything. It it could literally have been like a girl he wanted to ask out in high school, and. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't have the courage to right like we don't know <laughs> okay so he's he's ill he has one regret we don't really know what that is and then younger bro comes and takes over younger bro Domitian Domitian is the younger brother of Titus son of Vespasian and he is the third and final emperor in the Flavian dynasty to very very briefly recap we had the Julio-Claudian dynasty which is Augustus Caesar to start as the the patriarch, followed by Tiberius, followed by Caligula, followed by Claudius, followed by Nero, and then Nero is the end of the Julio-Claudians. Uh, then starts the year of the four emperors, where you have three emperors who last for like a couple of months each. They all stink for various reasons who are capped, but we don't call it the year of the three emperors, sorry, it's called the year of the four emperors because obviously there's one emperor who did do a good job, the fourth one, and that would be <laughs> Vespasian, 
who is uh, the start of the Flavian dynasty, which we're in right now. We've discussed him. And then uh, Vespasian's son, Titus, is, takes over for two years. And then now we have Domitian. Domitian is the younger brother of Titus. Um, so Domitian, um, so the reason I bring up that recap is because it's important to remember that before the Flavian dynasty started, there was basically chaos in Rome as mm. ruler after ruler after ruler literally those three would kind of take the throne for a couple of you know days not really a couple of days but very very short you know and then lose it and Vespasian was not in Rome when this was happening um i believe we discussed it last time Vespasian was in Jerusalem yeah fighting the Roman Jewish war his 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 eldest son Titus was with him helping fight Domitian was in Rome during hmm. this this insanity period. Um, he was being kept safe by Flavian loyalists who knew that this boy could be used as leverage against his father because everyone knew that Vespasian w- could potentially be an emperor, right? right he was one right. of the, the, the great generals of the time. So... This boy is being kept safe, but even though he's being kept safe, he's still witnessing the horrors of these civil wars. And one thing he's witnessing is this Senate, this senatorial body, just like on a whim, being like, oh, Otho is, is the new is the new guy in town. Otho, you're the emperor. We love you. Oh, Vitellius, you're the new guy in town. Oh, Vitellius, we love you. And he is he's probably developing a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder hmm. for these these feckless, sycophantic, rich idiots who are unwilling to who have or are unwilling or incapable of having any morals or any uh, kind of backbone and are just bowing to whichever person rolls into Rome and says, I'm the emperor. Okay, this is this is actually something we can kind of dig into a little bit because I also have a disdain for extremely fickle people and and not like now I want to be very clear here. My mind changes all the times on issues and topics all the time. But I I'd like to say about myself is that my mind changes after good hard dialogue and hard discourse. And that's what intelligent people do. Intelligent people change their mind when presented with a set of facts that they can't refute, right? And 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 that's just, that's evolution and that's becoming more intelligent. But there is another type of person that chases whoever is in power. And that's, that's, that's a kind of a fickleness that's not based in reason. It's not based in, in morals or, vir- or as Plato would say, virtues. It's based on oh, this is the shiniest kid in town. This is the richest dude in town. This is the most popular person. I, I kind of, I kind of, um, on another podcast, I did an episode with like this kid who perpetually tries to hang out with the jocks or perpetually tries to hang out with the cool kids. And they kind of betray everything that they believe in because they just want to go to whoever is the shiniest in that room at that particular moment. Yeah, I would say that there's, so there's like a, a level of pressure where it, where any, I think anyone except for the, the truly resolute and the truly steadfast will turn to the quote, as you say, popular side. Because the truth is, is that these senators were not turning to let's let's say uh, Galba. We're not turning to Galba because he was popular. 
mm-hmm. a lot were turning to him because he had tens of thousands of troops at their front door. Right, right. right. And it's, they didn't want to be cool. They wanted to not be dead. Um, <laughs> um, that's a, that a big distinction. Yeah, for sure. And and for some of them, very likely, they saw they saw personal benefit. Right. Not everyone, even though the, when we think of senators, we think of people who have put their who have um, put themselves into a uh, a profession where they are actively seeking to improve community to be community leaders. Let's say that. Right. They're like, I want They're like, I want to be a senator because I want to improve the community that I live in. I think that that the people who live here are great and do great things. And I think that with my leadership and direction, we can we can really do something amazing. Or alternatively, they think to themselves, like, I, I want to be the voice of the people. I want to help these people realize their goals and their dreams. I'm not necessarily going to lead so much as I am a, a servant of the people, right? But either way, they're like seeking to enrich their community. Roman senators, obviously, not always the case. A lot of them are in it entirely for themselves. And that yes. was, I don't, when I say that was okay, I don't mean like, I think it's okay. I mean, like at the time that was okay. It was like we, we discussed before, there's no such thing as corruption. <laughs> That's not true. There is corruption in Rome. It is a thing, but like the bar for it is much lower than it is now. And so it's like a lot of these people are thinking this guy is, is good for business. I'm supporting him. And yes. the idea of, of values never even entered into their mind any more than you would care if the guy who's handing you your winning lotto check is a, a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Right. I want to I want to come back to this. Let's let's continue and see see what this how this tension builds when he actually becomes emperor. OK, so so like I said, Domitian really doesn't like the senators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right away. When he's in power, we see him prodding them and stripping away their, I don't want to say their rights because they really don't have rights, but like pre- his his father and his brother, Vespasian and Titus, and more more to the point of it, uh, his, his early predecessor, Augustus, is like deferring to the Senate when they know that their opinion doesn't matter mm. to build up their ego so like Augustus would would write the book on how taxes should be levied, but then he would go to the Senate and he would be like, oh, venerated council of elder great ones, what color do you think the cover of this book should be? I implore your wisdom, please help. And they would be like, you're very wise to come to us, Augustus. We who know so much in the ways of things. And then they would have their pointless debates about red versus blue. And then they would go back to him and they would be like, Augustus, we believe it should be blue. And then he would be like, I, of course, defer to you. The, the, you I, know, this, remind, this reminds me of something I learned in grad school. Um, I had a professor that said when you're when you're doing a literature review and referring to you know earlier authors or more seminal pieces that have been written before, even if in even if you disagree with everything that a previous author is saying, you have to still like pay homage to their work and say you know this was covered by this wonderful person over here and then you never say like i completely disagree or use any kind of strong language you always say to add on 
So this mm -hmm. is not a, you know, we always use this very flowerly, like soft, like to add on to the one, to the brilliant work done by professor, blah, blah, blah. And what you're doing is that if you come in there and you attack and completely destroy it, we're human beings, we have egos, right? And no one wants to have their ego completely tossed into the fire. And some people would call this lying or deception or whatever, but I call it, it's a kind of finesse that you need to develop in life to, to get things done. Like, I, I think, I think that you, you learn this as you get older. So in Rome, they had a very, very flowery way of talking to each other when going through official channels. It would like, like what I just said sounds exaggerated, like I'm making fun of them, but it's actually not too far off onto how they would have spoken <laughs> to each other when asking for help or for aid. It was, it's to, to our ears, it would be embarrassing and, and <laughs> shallow and, and rife with, like it would be, if, if someone spoke to you that way, you'd think they were making fun of you. Yes, you know, yes. but that's how they that's how they talked. And that, that's just an aside, though. It doesn't actually matter. So but the point is, is that Gustus and Vespasian, they were very good at flattering the Senate, flattering the upper class and making them feel like they were important, even though they weren't. What Augustus and what, what Augustus's successors would have done well, and some did do well and some didn't, would have done well to learn from Augustus is this, this ability to build people up, make people feel important, make people feel like they're making a difference while simultaneously cutting them out of the decision-making process and doing things your own way. Mm. Um, Domitian does not do a good job of this. And it is not because he tried and failed. He had no interest in doing this because he, as I said, really did not like the Senate. He didn't think they were useful for anything, and he didn't think that um, he didn't think that it was they were an institution worth even keeping around. He saw what they were like during the um, the the year of the four emperors, and he he clearly wanted nothing to do with them. Hmm. Now, so he kind of has like a lack of respect for them. Like, there's a lack that of respect. Exactly it. He he doesn't respect them. How many senators? Also, just put a number on this. How many senators are we dealing with at this point? How how many bodies a are there? A couple of hundred. It's it's it used to be larger. It, it, so the Senate, the Senate ranks change throughout history. Um, they get larger and larger and larger, and then. Augustus kind of like calls the ranks a bit. Um, at this point in history, there's probably somewhere between 200 to 600 senators. Okay, so that's you know I, I'm just pointing that out that that's a huge blanket to cast. You're you're basically saying that 600 or so people, you know, somewhere between 200 and 600 people are completely useless, and I don't have any respect for their humanity. So just that's something people should just kind of have in their you know, should have in their back of their mind. Like there's not but one good man in that in in those ranks. So it's kind of dangerous to like have such a uh, such a such a such an all encompassing blanket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Domitian, part of the reason that in modern times we are kind of mixed on how well Domitian did is because the senators are the ones who are writing history. Mm, mm. Right. I, I've said this before, and I'll say it now, and I'll say it again, is that history is not written by the victors. History is written by the people who want to write history. <laughs> you know, it's it's 
that that adage of like, oh, when you win, you get to decide what's true and what's not is only true if other people are challenging you for history. Yeah. And the truth is is that 90 percent of the time. There isn't someone doing that. You just you say if if you're willing to say your piece, then you're you're the only voice talking. And that's especially true in ancient times when people less people could read and write eloquently, when less people had the time to read and write. So, you know, the senators, uh, they're not victors per se, but they're the ones with the the effort. They're the ones with the knowledge and the skills and the money to do writing. And so they're the ones that get their story told. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's interesting. There's a plug there if you ever want to become a historian. You you get to decide the way things yeah. went down. <laughs> Absolutely. You get, right? You get to write history. Yeah. All right. So he doesn't like the Senate. He thinks they're all corrupt and they're all just useless. And how does that reflect his governing now? So he he seems to idolize Augustus Caesar. He sees him as a figure of greatness, like many people do in Rome, but more more so than others, let's say. And he wants to emulate Augustus's rule. He wants to kind of like bring Rome glory. And in that regard alone, he deserves to be considered a good emperor. Uh, one thing that comes up a lot, a lot in in um, not just Roman history, but I would say all history, is that good rulers are often like the only requirement to be a good ruler is wanting to rule for or wanting to do good wanting to improve the lives of your citizens um it's just that simple sometimes it it really like (laughs) obviously obviously when when you know the nazis are are bombing your cities or you know the parthians are invading your territories or the the you know the the red menace is invading vietnam it takes a bit more than that yeah but the truth is is that those major world events are few and far between and 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 you could probably even make an argument that those world events occur because there had been before them too many instances of bad rulers right and so it's like all you need for for prosperity really is just people who want the job so they can do things for other people is is you need you need selfless people yes yes like baseline empathy like i think we discussed last time when comparing uh, t- titus to, to nero basically it's just baseline empathy like i want to help people i i truly i truly believe aaron that the only things that are required to be a a i wouldn't even say good i would say great to be a great ruler is a willingness to uh, to listen to others and critical thinking skills to be able to kind of like cut through uh bullshit (laughs) and and realize when when people are trying to take advantage of you yeah yeah and those two things coupled with a a a true desire to improve the community will make you a great ruler. Like you'll you'll be remembered as one of the, the greatest rulers who ever lived, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, that kind of dispels this idea that I think we think of great rulers today. Oh, intelligence, right? Like cunning, intelligent, charismatic, like fast moving, three-dimensional chess. Like we all, we, we all use this like fancy language to describe. Yeah, well, right. We all use this like fancy language and, and think it's some kind of mental acumen that makes a great ruler. But actually the empathy and the um, listening to people and, and kind of having people's best interests at heart is really, really beats any three-dimensional chess any day of the week. Absolutely. And so Domitian, again, so coming back to him, Domitian for that alone, I, I believe, should be considered a, a good ruler. 
Okay. Right? Domitian revalues the coinage in Rome. They um, they don't at this time have a firm, excuse me, have a firm grasp of inflation yet. They don't really understand. They don't get me wrong. The Roman economy, especially for this time period, is incredibly advanced and incredibly complex. Rome, even at this time, already has what's called a um, a, a, a currency economy, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And what that means, what that means, is that Rome is already beyond the point of bartering. They still do barter, but go, but money, a money economy, means that when they trade for their goods they trade with money and this is important this is really important because it's to have a money economy it's not enough to just have money money needs to be the center of your economy for for obviously it's it sounds so obvious to us in the modern day to think of the economy like this but for a lot of economies for most economies of that era that was not the case like food was the the center right like how many chickens can you get is the center and for rome it was money they it was like they thought the way that we think which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the gold standard not the gold standard sorry the the coinage <laughs> the coin standard is how you think of the value of products this is worth five dollars this is worth two dollars as opposed to this is worth a chicken to aaron because he likes chickens but he would also give me five gold coins which i know my friend values highly and i could get this for those like do you see the difference yeah of course absolutely and um you know with 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 ancient bartering systems you're only as good as the things that you have to trade. And if you have stuff, you could have a lot of something, but if no one wants it, well, you're not getting what you want either. And then money serves as that that great medium for for exchange to happen. Absolutely. Money is is that IOU that says like, this this coinage backed by the, 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 the empire of Rome will be valued by everyone living in the empire. And in many ways, this economy is what allows Rome to expand right. as large as it does. In, in Jupiter, do we trust, right? And I'm sure that's what it said on top that's of the coins. Right, <laughs> right on their coins. Yep, in Jupiter, we trust. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Domitian, he, they, so anyway, right, so I was saying, so they don't like totally understand inflation, but they do understand that it's it's not good to like reduce the, the value of their coins. And so Domitian, um, you know, he he revalues the coinage. He expands border defenses around the Roman Empire, just like Augustus did. He initiates tons of building projects, tons and tons of building projects. He fought wars. He fought wars um, in Britain, right? Because uh, Augustus was interested in in Britain, so he he kind of wants to again follow in his footsteps. He does a good job, right? He. The, he's remembered for bad things, but he does a good job. So let's we, get we into have, those. We, yeah, we have to focus on the bad, right? That's how our minds work. When <laughs> when when he makes your cast, I mean, they weren't really a cast, but they were, right? When he makes your cast look like fools, and he strips away your cast's rights, and he, he makes you angry, like, of course that's what you focus on. Yeah, of course. Right. History remembers Domitian at least partially as a monster because the people who were writing history wanted him to be remembered as a monster. And they wanted him to be remembered as a monster because while he was doing these great things, he was simultaneously stripping down the Senate for what they really were, which were 
pompous frauds. Right. And it's like, you know, it's funny because history can be very nasty like that. You can do 99 things right, but the one thing you do wrong, that's that's what they're going to that's what they're going to zing you on. Yeah. So Domitian used to Domitian used to um, like ridicule the Senate. He used to make them like he where previous emperors would have consulted with the Senate for things. He just flat out ignored them Um, when he needed money for building projects. Instead of asking for senators, he would just take their shit. Mm. Right. And then, um, you know, they'd be like, you can't do this. And he'd be like, well, I just did. So. So, so, you know, go, go, go pound sand. Right. And, this, would, um, you say, would you say it's fair to like, say that maybe like executive orders is kind of also like a way of maybe being disrespectful to the judicial process. Like, just like, you know, Hey, I'm gonna, you know, it's the legislative process. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm done asking you for, for this. I'm going to kind of just pass like a series of executive orders to get this done. Cause I don't believe in, in, in legislation at this point. I would, but it's important to remember that Domitian never even tried to ask nicely. Cause he okay. didn't like, cause he didn't like them. Got it. Got right. it. Okay. He skipped that step and went right to hand everything over. I don't need to ask your permission. Yeah. So like, that's exactly. So that's the thing is that whereas Augustus would have appealed to you and been like, would you please, you know, surrender some of your, your stuff because we need help building this, this amphitheater. And then you, and he would be like, you know, like, Oh, great Aaron Lord and master of the lands East of Cappadonia, you know, (laughs) please lend us your mighty horses and steeds as blah, blah, blah. And then you would either be like, yes, I will do that. And then I would be like, Oh, you are, you are a a king among men, Aaron. Thank you so much. Or well, hold on now, because now that you just mentioned the flattery language, I think you we just touched upon like a light. I had a light bulb moment, actually. OK, it's actually not just Shakespearean theater going down. There's actually something very logical going on in this thought process, because I come to you and I make this overtly like, oh, great one. Oh, this and that. If you dare say no, now I can go to the people and I can go to other. Hey, Look how friendly I was. Look how humble I was. I asked, and that cruel, that cruel, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge guy said, "No, we can't, we can't do that." So I think that this flowerly language actually has a very logical purpose in that, basically setting up that person to be the villain because you're you're going there on your hands and knees and begging for something, and then if they dare say, like that person's going to feel really awkward saying no because then they're going to be cascade, they're going to be kind of portrayed as the villain in all this. Yeah. And then there's like almost like kind of like a mafia kind of language to it, too, where it's like if I like appeal to you to do this and then you're like, like, no, I, I, I can't spare any. Then I might be like, oh, Aaron, I'm, I'm really, really upset to hear that, because the truth is, is that without your horses to help with this building, we're going to have to take them from the military. And, you know, the borders around your neighborhood will just be, you know, precariously thinned by this lack of military support. I beg you to reconsider for not just for the safe, not just for the building of Rome, but for the safety of your lands, you know, and it's so you, like, you never stop. You never stop with that kind of attitude. And then when you, you know, kind of get the message and are like, okay, I'll let you take them. I'm like, you are so kind and generous. Thank you. So, so like you, at no point do you ever, ever let up with the idea that maybe this isn't 100% your decision. Right. Uh, whereas Domitian would have just been more like, I'm taking your horses. And you'd be like, you can't do that. And I'd be like, I can and I am. 
Uh, and if you don't like it, that's too bad. Bye bye. Right. You know, and this is interesting because I, I, I think like in, in this flowerly language is also some subtle threats, like you just said, like, hey, if you don't, if you don't, you know, it'd be really unfortunate if, if, if your borders or your, you know, your little uh, encirclement of, of people, you know, like, I love, I like this because it, it, it's, it's also, it's appealing to their ego. It's also appearing to their best interest in some way, which is also, th that's also a skill of leadership is that you're able to talk to people in a way that also appeals to their best interest as well. Right. And, and I, I hate to, to, to come back to this, but like politics in many respects is the art of compromise. Well, Augustus really didn't compromise very often. So <laughs> let's, let's get that out of the way. But yeah, I mean, Augustus got what he wanted from the senators, and he got it by asking nicely. Mm -hmm. Domitian got what he wanted from the senators, and he got it from taking it from them. Okay. Right. This really left a bad taste in their mouth. And as a result, the senators have him assassinated. And not only do they have him assassinated, but after he's dead, they have his name. It's called, there's like a, a thing called dam, Damato uh, Memoriae, which is to damn your memory. Right. Mm. Uh, Domitian is struck. His name is like struck from the official history books. His statues are torn down. It was not done lightly. Right. Wow. So after he's gone, they 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 really go to work on him. Right. So how long how long does he rule and how is he assassinated? Um, I think it's about 15 years. Uh, it's long. It's, he has a long reign. Uh, this the. At this point, uh, this is the longest reign since Tiberius. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's a big deal. You know, the people liked him enough, but at the end of the day, um, he's remembered as not being a good emperor, mostly because of the efforts of the Senate to, like I, like I just said, damn his name. And then um, on top of that, he, he fails. There's a, a war he's um, uh, conducting in Dacia. Dacia, sorry. And he's unable to get victory against uh, the Dacian king, Decebalus. And this failure to secure victory, some people, that's, that's the interesting thing, is that it's not like, like he tried and failed. It's more like he, he attacked, they attacked, and then there was a treaty signed. And the Roman senators were like, this treaty is unfavorable to Rome. Because basically what the treaty says is that Rome will supply money and materials to Dacia so that they can build walls to help protect Rome because Dacia is a border state. And whether or not they were just whether, uh, you know, it's, it's up to you to decide whether, A, that's a good deal uh, or B, you know, you're like, we could have won that war. Why did we why did we pull out? You know, why why did we pull out of this war that was maybe not going so well, but we probably have overwhelming force. And then we we ended up giving them money at the end. And it's uh it's it's it ends up being like um a bit of a debacle. The Romans have to like, you know, they end up like helicoptering out of Saigon right before the communists take over. And it's just <laughs> I was just thinking about I that. think I think I'm maybe getting my history mixed up a little bit, but uh, not <laughs> No, 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 no. Sorry. Joking aside, is you could you could definitely draw Vietnam kind of like uh, lines there, right? It's definitely mm -hmm. got that Vietnam feel of 
a kind of a boondockle of a war. No one thinks that, you know, the Dacians were going to take over Rome, just like no one thinks that, you know, the Vietnamese were going to invade America. But at the same time, the exit terms were maybe not as good as we wanted them to be. Yeah. Um, and we know because of history now that the terms of the the, the treaty in Dacia were unfavorable to Rome because what Decebalus does with that um, with that money and with those supplies is he uses it to wage war on Rome later. Hmm. And and another emperor, two emperors down the line, a man by the name of Trajan, who you may or may not know the name of, but he's considered to be like one of the greatest emperors Rome ever had he is going to end up having to fight a war with Dacia and it's going to be harder because of this decision. And this should also, this should also kind of signal to you how important military victory is for Rome and how you could be doing things right, but one bad military campaign and you're considered a loser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they take their, they, they take their fighting seriously. Definitely. So Okay, so Domitian is is pretty superstitious, and he follows the advice of soothsayers. And one of the soothsayers predicts that Domitian's death will occur after noon. And so Domitian, (laughs) or after midday, and so Domitian refuses to meet with people after noon, right? Hmm. Because he is fearful that he's going to be assassinated. He knows the people around him are, are out to get him, right? And so what happens is they like trick him into meeting with someone in the afternoon and that person like smuggles a sword in and and stabs him to death. Wow. I got to give that soothsayer some credit, you know. He or she predicted that pretty pretty darn spot on, right? <laughs> yeah, as it was foretold his death came at noon. I don't I don't know how true that story is, but it's in the history books that that's that's what happened. So and it's always like that. It's like, the you know, it's it's like kind of this like poetic irony where it's like, you know, you're war- like I, I think of like Oedipus sort of like, like, you know, oh, you're going to kill your father and marry your mother. It's like, yeah, 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 I'm sure that, you know, it's like and you do yeah. everything in your you do everything in your power to avoid that thing. And then that's the thing that actually comes true. Exactly. Um, so Domitian, Domitian is killed. And the, the thing is, is that Domitian was good to the soldiers. Mm. And the soldiers are not so happy that Domitian is dead. The soldiers are more like common folk. And they get pretty pissed off when the Senate or anyone assassinates an emperor. Right. Mm. The, the Senate was e- the soldiers were even upset when Caligula was assassinated. They don't like it when that happens. Probably the same for the U.S. Like, even if the soldiers didn't like a president, uh, they would be pretty pissed off to find out that, like, someone assassinated the president. It's a big right. deal. It's a big deal. That, exactly right. So the soldiers are not super happy because they, on top of that, they kind of liked the mission. He was good to them. They're even more upset when the senators declare a man named Nerva to be the the next emperor who is like this like old kind of like mousy advisor to Domitian who's not a soldier who's not rugged who's not uh, you know he's not them he's not one of them mm-hmm. they're they're really upset and they're on the verge of rebellion so what Nerva has to do and do quickly 
is choose a successor. And so Nerva ch- decides he's going to choose someone who the, the, the soldiers will like. But he needs to also choose someone that the senators will like because the senators, they put him in power. And they're very dangerous, they as they've demonstrated, right? I, I see the mousiness coming in. He's like he's he's been appointed power. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna get assassinated pretty darn quick. Let me find some other student. That is it's exactly a- it. <laughs> <laughs> Nerva is considered this is so with the death of Domitian, we are now at the end of the Flavian dynasty. This is it. Um, and what we're about to see is Nerva is considered one of the five good emperors. And he doesn't rule for very long. He um, he he rules for like three years. And he's part of, it's called his dynasty. The dynasty is named after him, despite ruling for like a week. Uh, <laughs> is It's called the Nerva Antonine dynasty. And this is, this dynasty is rule, this dynasty oversees what's called, what's, usually referred to as the golden age of Rome, the Pax Romana. This is, this is the height of living. Gibbons, in his famous biography of Rome called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, calls this the best time for any person to be alive in human history. Mm-hmm. We're talking almost 100 solid years of peace and prosperity. There are wars, but not big ones. And... Um, Rome comes out on top during these wars. Uh, the economy is flourishing. Art is flourishing. Literature is flourishing. People are getting along. Dogs and cats are friends. It's, <laughs> it's a good time all around, right? Yeah. And so to be considered the first emperor in this, I, I would say is a great honor. Sure. You know? And Nerva, to his credit, really only does one thing as emperor. But the one thing he does is really, really good. He picks Trajan as his successor. Uh, okay. And Trajan, as we'll see, is one of the best emperors Rome has ever had. And the reason that is, is because of his ability to, like Augustus before him, let get out of people's way, delegate to people who have more knowledge on a subject, and a general calm and, and not quick to anger personality approach to rule right now i I think this is a excellent place to pause right now and and do a little analysis on what we were just what we were kind of talking about like in between the lines here about trying to work and trying to appease people who you otherwise don't respect or you don't agree with and so forth and and one thing that i'm finding brett is like thinking about the number of the senators right i think that it would have been very easy to build like small alliances with some of the more reasonable. Okay. Maybe there were some really, really, really fickle, corrupt senators, but even out of the lot, I'm sure there was some, some that were better than others that, you know, we could have possibly appealed to. And I think in life, it's never as black and white as we make it seem. I think there's always a bright per like even in a, in a room full with filled with a, a hundred idiots, there's always going to be like five or six smart dudes there in the corner that you can kind of talk to. And then, and then that can kind of spread and then that can kind of, you know, do it. And, and now the reason I think that this is so important is because, you know, we do have a new president right now. And I, I think there is this, 
this idea that floats around in our popular sentiment, don't compromise, don't compromise. And it's, you know, it's like demand your three loaves of bread and don't, don't settle for anything less than three loaves of bread is, is sort of a, a popular idea that we have in politics right now. And I kind of see, you know, I, I'm not trying to be a centrist here, but I can see that a lot of stuff doesn't get done when that's kind of your attitude. Like everyone who is on the opposite end of the aisle, I have no respect for them. They don't know a thing or two and I, I'm just not gonna listen to them. I think that actually opens up the door for a lot of dysfunction. Oh yeah, and I mean, Domitian paid with his life for at least partially for not respecting, they're his peers, right? Not respecting his peers and not, mm -hmm not being willing he he literally literally he died on that hill which was i hate the senate and they don't deserve my time or respect and today there are still there are people who do that right who are like i won't listen to anything that comes out of this person's mouth because they're they're untrustworthy and that's fine um in the sense that there are people who are there are people in your life who you should assume are right until you check them and find they're wrong. And there are people in your life who you should assume are wrong until you check them and they are right. But I think that people are far too willing nowadays to throw people in their lives into those two categories. Yes. Like right away. Be like, like you barely know anything about this person and you've already delegated all of, or relegated, sorry, all of their opinions to either the either the garbage or to you know the 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 sacrosanct holier than thou wall absolutely and i want to i want to talk about like hills to die on and i think that if you're a, a president or a leader or anyone with some kind of influence it's okay to have like two or three core issues where it's like and, and when you have these hills to die on you can also still be very respectful about those hills you could be like hey man this is something i really can't budge on i think there's definitely softer language that you can use like i really need this issue to get done but there's nobody on the face of this earth where every single issue is a hill to die on like I, i'm sorry not. like like you're just deluding yourself if you think every issue is just that important to you so i think you can have like two or three like these are non-negotiables and you can be very respectful in the way that you talk about those non-negotiables and be like hey this is definitely a core virtue that i have and then when you kind of make compromises on some of the issues that you don't care as much on, then that actually creates the, the room and the space for more compromise to come on later, maybe even on the, the issues that you consider to be non-negotiable. Something that I've been noticing lately, and it might, one thing I always try to be aware of is how much, what, how much of what's happening is new versus how much of what's happening is just something that I've never experienced before. <laughs> uh, so I want to say that I'm not sure if this is something that's always been going on and I just didn't notice or if it's new. But one thing that I've, I've noticed for the first time lately is the number, like you just said, the number of things that people are willing to die on a hill for has gone up immensely, immensely. Yes. Uh, and I don't care if it's because like I've heard people like who are literally up in arms up in arms like it's it's consumed their identity it's all they talk about that like a celebrity on twitter said something sexist five years ago and they are like this man must never work again he must never be allowed back in 
polite society, he is dead to me, right? And I've seen, again, same exact thing where like uh, a school uh, takes down a, a, a statue of a literal slave owner, right? A school is like, we're going to change our name from from Robert E. Lee High to, to uh, you know, Harriet Tubman uh, High. And people, again, same thing. Their whole identities are consumed by, and I, I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers here, but like totally inconsequential bullshit. Right? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right because th- like these are not proper hills to die on. Okay. No. They're really, they're really not. You can have your opinions about them, but you're, what happens is that when you're being a stickler for stupid nonsense, then the things that you really care about never really get a chance to be addressed. So then let me ask you a question, Aaron. Yeah. Why do you think this is happening, that people are, are letting their identities be consumed, their days be consumed, their valuable time, the short amount of life we have on this earth being consumed by pro- organizing and attending protests because the new Marvel movie has a girl Thor instead of a boy Thor, or or to go to the other side of the the political spectrum, uh, you know, like people are are organizing their entire lives and and whatever because the name of of this this product or or because this maple syrup company has a a a black woman on its its bottle uh, instead of nothing. Yes. Right? Things that that if you had said it to me, you know, like if you were like, hey, Brett, what do you think about, you know, Thor, the new Thor being a girl? I might have an opinion. Mm. It won't be a very strong opinion. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I would be like, oh, I think it's fine. And then you'd be like, I don't think they should change comic books. And I'd be like, OK, do you want to go get lunch? And that would be it. Right. Right. Now, I'm, I'm glad that you actually asked me that question. And I sort of touched upon this idea with my friend Joe. And we talked about siloed communities, especially the ones that are creeping up on the Internet. And I think these are especially dangerous because what they do is they take benign things like Thor or whatever, and they amplify it. They amplify the volume of these of these things to incredibly high levels that perhaps wasn't as existent as it was before. And I think if we were, let's just say that we were both in our thirties back in the eighties or nineties, right? We would probably talk about like Thor and then we would kind of like move on from that and be like, yeah, well, they could have done a better job. But now what you have is you have these very siloed communities where the volume is 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 incrementally being cranked up to a very high level. And now Thor is the hill you want to die on. Whereas in the 90s, it was like something that you would talk about over a slice of pizza and move on with your day. Yeah, it's I 100% agree. I I think that mass media, or sorry, the, the, let's say the, the, the advent of like the internet, right, has created this ability to silo yourself off, like you said, into these small, super niche communities, communities that would not have existed easily a couple of a couple of decades ago. And in some ways, it's really great. I love mechanical keyboards. It is an incredibly <laughs> niche hobby. Without the internet, it is not a hobby that I would be able to find people to talk about it with. I would not know anyone who did it, but with the internet, I'm able to reach out and connect with these other weirdos who want to talk about switch types and, and light up effects on a keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. 
but it is very negative as well because like you said it allows people to reach out and connect with each other that are like a hundred percent in agreement with them that combined with the anonymity of it means that there's no risk in in being toxic and you can find people who are equally toxic as you and then you you end up with this thing of like you guys are like one-upping each other so yes. to speak right and it's like i want to be the leader of this this group of people who who has this opinion and it's like it's not enough to be like you know like i think that um I don't know, like, I think the economy is in a, going in a, wrong, a bad direction because everyone in your group thinks that. We have this need to stand out and be unique, right? Yes, I, and I think that this was something I had in another political discussion with somebody is that we sometimes think that the best ver the best solution is the purest solution. We think that like the 100% alcohol solution is the best solution but if you drink 100% alcohol you'll probably die or something right it's not it, it's not like what the, the best solution is often heavily diluted it's diluted with people who disagree with you it's yes. diluted with people who have different um opinions and these siloed communities are basically 100% alcohol and if you keep drinking that you're going to die and you're going to go blind right you and it, i think i think if you drink 100% alcohol you go blind and it's, it's a perfect analogy for these siloed communities where it's like you're, you're really going blind and you're not actually seeing the grander battlefield. You're not, you're not really seeing what's really out there. And, and I, think, I, I think that this is a good lesson of like, when you adapt this mentality of like, compromise makes me weaker. And I think that's, that's kind of one, and this, hap, this is the, the ultimate in-group mentality is like, anytime I compromise and anytime I dilute myself, I am weaker. And I'm like, no, that's not how life works. When you dilute yourself, you may actually become stronger and wiser. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Star Wars for a second. Yeah. So, right, yeah, more <laughs> Star Wars. This is a Star Wars podcast, right? So, like, if you're out in the real world and you're talking about Star Wars, you're probably talking about the movies, right? Those are what everyone's seen. That's what everyone's heard about. And you're I can talk, talk to about you about Clone Wars, man. Yeah, talk about broad strokes, right? I like. I think the stormtroopers are cool. I, Darth Vader is not a nice guy. Uh, blah blah blah. If you go into a group about Star Wars, they're not going to want to talk to you about stormtroopers because that's too broad for them now, mm -hmm. right? They're going to drill down and they're going to be like, "Let's talk about this specific stormtrooper." You know, IG. <laughs> let's talk about this specific robot. IG88 is a bounty hunter in this story. He shows up for 5 pages, right? Yeah. And it's like that's because that's all they have that's that's because in their little group they can get super specific in the same way that like if you talk of in and it, sorry, in the same way that if you talk about let's say uh, computer programming in the right in the real world with regular people then you have to be general yes right, right because yeah. the, the level of understanding of the different people is 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 varied and vast but if you go into like a college class for computer programming it'll be much more specific much more granular because everyone's already passed that initial stuff they don't want to talk about uh that stuff anymore they want to get more specific and so like back to the star wars analogy is it's, it's the same thing where it's like in these little groups, you're getting more granular. And then as time gets on, you just get more and more and more granular. And you're like, you're losing touch of, you're losing sight of land. And then eventually, eventually you just, you, you, you come back to the real world after living in, in the internet for too long. 
and you're like, Aaron, what do you think of, of IG-88's third <laughs> blaster that he used to take down, you know, Kit Fisto? And then you'd be like, I don't know what any of that is, and I, I frankly don't care. Yeah, you, you <laughs> know, I think you've described um, definitely some uh, periods in my life where I'm watching YouTube commentary on some obscure thing in Legends. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, what, what, what always happens though, Brett, is I, I eventually just came to a, a moment of realization where it's like, um, watching this really obscure YouTube video on Legends is not really healthy for me. It's actually not healthy. I thought as a kid, yeah, I get to like connect with these ultra ultra nerds on on like this very specific facet of Star Wars. And now now I'm coming to realize that's not what I need. There's a reason why like in biology, diversity is a positive thing. Like I think it really is positive and like yes in times like in computer science sometimes you do need to be a specialist and like we do need specialists out there and we need people who specialize but even if you're a specialist it's nice to have other diverse interests like the fact that the fact that you're you you know about programming but then you also know about the roman empire and that you can kind of vacillate between different spheres is a positive thing and that's i'm not saying that we should make everyone into a polymath but i think people do need more broadness in, in things because if they don't have broadness and they're just obsessive if they if they develop an ocd basically composition about them when it comes to studying thor or studying star wars you're, you're really not seeing the, the grander picture of, of what it is that we're living on. And you're creating false narratives and false hills to die on and false things to get outraged and upset about. When in actuality, you're, you're, you're making yourself even more of a smaller speck than you truly are. So there's a, um, a psychologist. So in psychology, one of the one of the phenomenons that we observe that's been documented in research and I think is very interesting is this idea that experts tend to miss things that amateurs don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that amateurs are better at doing things than experts. That's obviously not true. It's just that experts miss things that amateurs catch all the time, consistently enough that there's a, a bias for it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, this applies to this this political rabbit holing where it's like when you become a quote expert in let's say your disdain of PC culture, you uh, you you lose the forest for the trees. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, you know, I, I did like a whole episode on the dangers of specialization with Joe, and and we, we you know I, I like the way that you discuss this because you you have to, and and it's also a combination of just. Also, if, if, if there was one piece of advice that I think that the best Roman emperors probably had is that there were times where they just didn't take themselves all that too seriously. I think, I think that's also, you have to have a certain level of lightheartedness where you realize the thing that, there are things that are very important that are worth dying for in this world, but not everything is one of those things. And if you take yourself too seriously, you're gonna get assassinated. Brett, <laughs> Brett thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me again, Aaron. It's always a pleasure. This concludes the ninth part in our series, Rome, the Decline of Democracy. I'm Aaron Azrod.